this closure script for you. To help us answer this question, we have David Nolan here. Hi, David. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. So David is a ClojureScript lead developer working for Ledger. He's also a musician, a speaker, and Go player, and the kitchen table coders organizer. ClojureScript was announced on 20th of July 2011, and uh, Rich Hickey provided like some slides with points of why ClojureScripts. Uh, and these slides were for someone why we should use ClojureScript, because they were towards Clojure developers, so they knew why we should use Clojure. So actually, we'll try to explore why you should use ClojureScript uh, by the eyes of Clojure with a twist that we will talk about specific points about Clojure and what kind of problems you try to solve in a browser or whatever it can run. So David, maybe it will be good to start with a tar pit. So I'm talking about the, uh, the book cover, the mythical Man Month book cover, where you have the picture of the tar pit and how this actually, I actually believe that this is the, the answer to some of the papers was closure, if I'm correct. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, I came across the paper out of the tarp by, uh, through Rich Hickey. I'm pretty sure he either mentioned it in an early talk or, you know, he used to hang out in IRC and I think I looked it up and checked it out. But, you know, out of the tarp, the basic, thing right is that um ben mosley and his co-author um they're trying peter to peter marks oh yeah there you go thank you peter marks yeah. they're trying to have a response to you know this fred books you know paper no silver bullet that's right no silver bullet and that there's no there's no one way to manage complexity but you know and i don't think out of the tarpet authors are saying that they have the answer but i think they do this great job of making a convincing argument that um, it's really state uh, in any software system that m contributes, I think, the most amount of complexity uh, with respect to reasoning about uh, the behavior of a system. Of course, I think there are, you know, there are other things that can happen, especially in modern software systems. I think you can get bogged down in architecture, but certainly in the small and as you scale up, um, you know, sort of unmanaged state can really uh, just damage your ability to understand uh, why the system is behaving in the way that mm. it is. Right. So maybe it will be actually good to talk about state uh, because maybe in the browser, we very often didn't think about state. Like HTTP is a stateless protocol. So what is the state in our browsers? Well, so HTTP itself might be stateless, but you know, when you build a, a web service, of course, um, you know, you, you talk to a database or, or, you, or you, you know, recreate state via sessions or cookies or whatever. So in theory, HTTP is stateless and everybody kind of knew that doing things in a stateless way is optimal. But uh, I think that what happened is as people build or built more sophisticated applications, they needed state and, you know, all the typical problems sort of crop up because, uh, I think that people didn't, you know, think about, again, how to manage that state, right? It's not like, it's not, I mean, you know, I think the, this idea that you don't need state, that, that's of course not what we're talking about. I think it's really about managing the state in such a way that um, it's easier to reason about, right? Right. right. So this would be uh, being more uh, disciplined about how we manage the state? So I mean that's yeah that's what that's definitely one dimension of it sure 
Okay, so would it be fair to say that, you know, some time ago when we were using jQuery, we would have those small snippets in our website of the code and all of those small snippets with jQuery would have some like small state inside them. And I, and actually the the problem with jQuery was not so much that jQuery itself was stateful, it's just that jQuery was a thin but extremely useful um, wrapper around disparate browser APIs to interact with mm -hmm. the DOM. Right. And, and so what happened was that it's not like jQuery was itself kind of broken, but that the DOM model is a very mutable model. You know, you add an event handler to a DOM node and that's a mutation. And you have to remember to remove that event handler when you're done. You know, building uh, a dynamic interaction with JavaScript often, you know, requires you to manipulate the DOM. Or what people would do is that they would cache state in the DOM. In order to recover that state, they would read state from the DOM. And again, well, what would happen was that because you, people would sort of use the browser willy-nilly as a place to store state, and JavaScript itself is not a particularly disciplined language with respect to state, uh, that, you know, as JavaScript applications scaled, even with a lot of discipline, I think it was pretty easy to get yourself in a situation where uh, something would happen to you and you weren't, it wasn't clear how you ended up, you got there. Like that's, that was a, that was my experience. Certainly uh, I was doing JavaScript for six years and I was very familiar with jQuery, uh, very familiar with MooTools and of course had passing familiar with familiarity with the other options, including, of course, writing pure JavaScript and just doing it uh, directly with DOM APIs and writing your own cross-browser stuff. Like, I mean, I remember mm -hmm. when, you know, there was this web resource called PPK where before, you know, there was these libraries that massaged all the differences. You could just go to PPK and, like, look up how to do cross-browser JavaScript. Anyways, you know, after six years of doing JavaScript, um, when I was at the Times, I was like, you know, at the, at the time, already, Clojure was sort of my hobby language in sort of the evenings and late night hacking. I'd be doing stuff with Clojure and getting excited about functional programming. And so for me, it was a, a kind of a, um, a really exciting moment when Clojure Script came out because I went to Rich Hickey's presentation. And, you know, and, um, you know, he was demonstrating is like you could you could use Clojure and it was basically effectively Clojure in the browser and you had the same sort of functional data structures and state management. Uh, and that was very exciting to me, again, because I'd already put six years into doing it, um, the sort of object-oriented, mainstream, imperative programming. Mm -hmm. And uh, ClojureScript seemed like a way to keep on doing the exciting UI work, but add a little bit more discipline. But, but again, not ad hoc discipline, right? Like some formal discipline through the design of a programming language. I mean, one thing that, that you often hear from people is like, I could just do this with JavaScript. <laughs> and, right. and, 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 and people forget that programming languages in some, set, in some sense sort of codify a set of beliefs about software best practice. And when you are just using a language that wasn't designed with a functional standpoint, you have to really get into a like you know a back and forth with your team and convince people to adopt better style, and you know JavaScript is in the end a bit of a free for all, and there's many many opinions right because JavaScript doesn't dictate that much. Uh, that's very different from Clojure or ClojureScript, where it, the standard library and the standard set of functions that are given to you 
assume that you as the developer is already convinced that a functional uh, and, a, and state with a lot of management is a better way to write software, right? Right, because I, I also have this feeling that uh, when you use JavaScript and you need to pull in all of those libraries like Immutable JS and maybe Lodash to actually work on all of the collections that you have, it starts to feel a bit like an anti-pattern. And you need to learn all of the new APIs for different uh, libraries that you're using. And I think this is something great about Clojure that it just embraces the whole functional programming. That's exactly right. And for me, that's, act that's definitely one of the big reasons why ClojureScript. It's that the language itself, you know, encodes these best practices. And again, when, when you're sort of interacting with other libraries or with other people in the community, there's a baseline of expectation um, about reducing complexity. And that is simply not a shared thing in the JavaScript community, right? Right. Yeah. And then actually, so ClojureScript for a long time was not really a viable option to use. Well, I mean, you, not, not viable in the sense that like... <laughs> Everybody, I, I don't try. Everybody, yeah. everybody you know what I tried to say. I, no, I, I understand. It, I agree. You had to be a little bit. It was. It was a bit too too cutting edge. It was a bit too, um, too too much. I was just lacking. Power. Too raw. Yeah. Exactly. Too raw. Yeah. And I think things changed since React showed up. And I think you were actually the person who really embraced React ideas from the very beginning, or maybe not from the very beginning. So. Uh, can you tell us actually how this story goes with React and how did you experience it? Yeah, so React, it was, you know, React came out and I think uh, at the time I sort of, it was, I don't know, summer of 2013 or something. And um, I largely ignored it because, you know, it was just a Facebook thing. And, I, you know, without looking at the details, I just, it just looked like, like a strange thing because they were, you know, they were using XML literals. Right. That didn't seem interesting. So I ignored it, but then my friend Brandon Bloom, who was sort of familiar with the sort of um, immediate mode rendering idea, uh, basically mm -hmm. explained to me, hey, there's an immediate mode thing, and that's actually really cool, and uh, it, it can be more declarative. And I was like, well, being declarative, that's cool, but you know, you know, will it really improve things with ClojureScript? And I ended up getting into a um, Twitter discussion with Jordan Walk, who was the original okay. designer of React. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he basically said, yeah, actually, you know, we, I, I did a little thing where they were building some comments feed for something in Facebook and uh, they needed a performance boost. And he wrote a little simple persistent data structure and plugged it in and got like a 10x performance gain. I was like, wow. So that, that, that implied to me that React was compatible with, with functional data structures. And then, you know, I basically spent like two weeks based off these conversations with Jordan and Brandon and also Peter Hunt, and I pretty much confirmed that um, for the very first time you had a UI framework in which you could have an idiomatic interface and interaction model with ClojureScript, uh, because in the end, React was a very, very functional design, and it was really just a great fit for ClojureScript, which simply wasn't true uh, for the other JavaScript frameworks, right? almost every other framework really had too much mutation at the API level to really make something idiomatic. Right, so they were too undisciplined about the state of and, how we manage this. Uh, well, and I, I, would, uh, I would phrase that more that they were 
targeting um, a JavaScript audience who was a, who, who hadn't identified uh, mutation as a source of complexity. That's how okay. I would kind of phrase that. And I think this leads to the next idea of actually a new sort of the, this trailblazing stuff that we should actually keep the state in one place. Yeah, and, and, and again, there's not, <laughs> to be honest, there, there wasn't much to trailblaze because I actually, you know, even with Clojure, I'd experimented a bit with UI stuff like Swing and whatever. But the problem is that, you know, again, Swing is very mutable. It's a mutable scene graph. And, you know, it was, I can't remember where I read it, but it might have been something to do with Erlang or something else. But I'd, I, read a, I read a term called like Skyhook or something or, you know, this idea of doing UIs and putting the entire state of the application in one place, that had definitely been floating around in the functional community. So what, I, don't, I don't think my ideas around the single source of truth for the application state was there's not much novelty there. I'd encountered that idea in the functional world and people who talked about doing UI work. I mean, I think all I was really saying was that when I was promoting React and trying to communicate both to Clojure programmers and JavaScript programmers was that, you know, we build big, huge systems and we, we use one database, right? Mm -hmm. One system of system of record. And my claim was that that's the way that people have been doing very serious software. Why not just take that idea and do it in the UI in UI work? And it sounds, you know, now when you look back, it's, it sounds so obvious, but at the time people were like splitting their application state into multiple like, you know, these little multiple local and memory databases, multiple collections, uh, updating those independently, having independent event handlers on these stores. Uh, you know, people had like simply had done that. And all I was suggesting was just get rid of all that stuff and I bet it'll be simpler. And, you know, it turned out that things like Redux and other Redux spinoffs basically gave everybody the opportunity to see that it's just a simpler programming model. If you put all your state in one place, you eliminate listeners, right? This sort of cascading effect of listening to changes in, in sort of the typical uh, model view controller way. Right. And I think this is the whole, uh, I think this is the whole pattern, if I could call it this way with closure and closure script and the database datomic where we or where you try to put everything in the same way that you have just one place where you save the state and then you have some functions that work on the state. That's right. Um, all right. But actually, these are not really uh, mainstream ideas. I mean, Clojure, Clojure Script, and then Datomic, uh, they are not technologies popular such as as popular as Rails or Postgres or even now the JavaScript and React. So how could uh, people start to uh, appreciate those ideas more and maybe shift towards using all of this, what we talked about. To be honest, I actually think that um, while they're not, I wouldn't say that they were like mainstream, like in the level of the popularity of some things out there. I do think that React and the, and the sort of general embracement of React has made some of this terminology more familiar to a much wider audience. Uh, I think people that do React a lot and they end up liking it. And then when they try like, the old way, they get frustrated and then, and it's maybe even hard for them to put words on it anymore because they had a simpler programming model. But also I think that what's happened is that as people become familiar with React, I think slowly people are like, oh, you know, ClojureScript bizarrely was an early adopter of React. What's ClojureScript about? 
And I think um, many years after the fact, <laughs> uh, we're seeing actually more and more people come from a React and JavaScript background coming to ClojureScript and, and, and really getting excited because it's instead of just being, oh, this principle applies to your UI, here's a community of developers that believes that that model that React embraced, which is a great model, actually scales all the way up to uh, much larger architectures and complete systems. You know, there's a lot more work to do. There's a lot more marketing to do. But, you know, if you told me six years ago that React would happen and that would actually kick off these ideas getting adopted and that that would actually get people to take, you know, give ClojureScript a second or third look, I wouldn't have believed you. But that, as far as I can tell, that's really what's been happening. So is it from your experience that the things that we were doing before, like, I don't know, MVC frameworks, and now comparing this to React, do you believe this is a better model for programming? Uh, you know, I often try to tell people MVC-style programming has existed for, like, you know, 40, almost 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, most of the software that you use uses that approach. And that's it's just a fact. It is effective, right? My claim is simply that having done that style of programming, I have... I've, I will make the claim that it's just as effective to do it in the functional way, and there are very few downsides. Most of the downsides that came up early on, things like performance or this or that, um, I think there are now have been very ambitious applications built with React that are very functional. There have definitely been uh, uh, ambitious applications built with ClojureScript that use React that are very functional, uh, that exhibit good performance. Um, there are, of course, there's always going to be certain types of high-performance things where you can't use that model, but I would argue for a vast amount of applications that one might be interested in building as a UI, uh, the functional model serves very, very, very well, and I would argue is much simpler uh, than the traditional MVC pattern. So you've been doing uh, ClojureScript now for how many years? So like seven, almost eight years. All right. And maybe we should talk about the community and what happens in, because I think there is a lot of uh, things that came out actually from ClojureScript, but the broader JavaScript or other uh, communities are just not aware. And I think one of the really good example is uh, the FigWheel. Yeah, yeah. So what FigWheel is, FigWheel is um, a project by Bruce Howman. And what it is, it's just a hot code reloader. I mean, what it does is when you save a file, it just... Um, will reevaluate that file uh, such that you get new code. What this means for, this may not sound very useful, but actually for developing UIs, it's extremely powerful because you can make changes to the code and you can see those changes immediately while you're developing without changing the state of the application. And that's possible because in ClojureScript, we put all of our state in one place and because it's managed in one place, we can actually update the functionality of the application without changing the state of the application. That means I want to add a window, or I want to change the color of a button, or I want to uh, drop a new component in. Because these are things that don't affect necessarily affect the, the abstract state of the application. You can see those changes, and it works uh, very, very well. I think what's been cool is that, you know, whereas as far as I can tell, hot code reloading in the JavaScript world, it's very hard to set up. It's very finicky. 
Uh, there's too many mutable patterns because it's all ad hoc. You have to, you have to just think through everything to get hot coding, hot code reloading to work well in JavaScript. It's actually not that ubiquitous. It's not that popular. Um, but because in ClojureScript, instead of having an ad hoc discipline, we have the discipline is fundamental to the design of the language. And there's a simple rule that everybody follows is put all your, all your app state in one place and then fig wheel. It's like magic. It just works. And there is no complications in setting it up is like, you know, like two lines of config, which I think people are always very shocked. I think every new person that tries fig wheel is like, wow, this is, it just works and it's easy to set up. Right. Um, so I think there are also other developments in the community. And I think the amazing part is that it was done by like totally different people and they just came also together. And one of them that I really love is the CL, CLJS DevTools. So just for people that don't know, CLJS DevTools is uh, a tool that allows you to display the closure uh, data structures uh, inside the Chromium-based browsers. Um, so I think this one is great. And then there's also Reagent and Reframe. Did you maybe use those? I've been using Reagent now, I think, for a year and a half, maybe, on projects. And it's, mm -hmm. it's quite nice. It works very yeah. well. So just for everyone, uh, Reagent is a minimalistic wrapper around React. And Reframe, you could say it's sort of like uh, Redux, because it just makes you, uh, it has some abstraction to work on your uh, local DB or your app DB. Uh, are there any other projects that you think it's are worth to mention? I mean, there's a um, lot. I don't think we can do justice yeah, to all of them. Yeah, we, we can't. I don't think we can. There's so many. But I think if you're if you're just getting into ClojureScript, Reagent, Reframe, FigWheel, uh, those are the, those are definitely the places to start if you want to see what React style development in ClojureScript is like. One thing that ha is happening that's new and that's changing is that you know React, you know. We a lot of these libraries had to had to shim had to build up a shim against React because React, of course, they'd want you to write these classes and it's all, it's all very annoying boilerplatey stuff. Um, but whatever, we would everybody would wrap the API and we could go back to functional programming. Um, but uh, React hooks is a new thing in React 16, mm -hmm. which allows you to do. Um, React applications without having to do all this object-oriented boilerplate. And there are experiments in the community now around showing how to do direct React programming with React hooks. That looks very promising from ClojureScript. It looks very idiomatic and, and cool. Right. And I think there is one more tool uh, that I use very often, which is Shadow CLJS. And this is like the build tool with a very easy uh, NPM interop. So how does how's the story with the npm interop because uh closure script uses google closure compiler so maybe we can talk also a bit about uh, google closure well let's explain what the challenge is so the challenge is this is that um you know one of the very first decisions rich hickey made in 2011 was that we're writing a source to source compiler we're going to take javascript and we're going to generate sorry we're going to take closure and we're going to generate javascript source and the thing about code gen is that you end up generating a lot of code um, and you know, that matters for web clients, right? Because the pay, the size of the payload matters when, when ClojureScript came out, people were, you know, baseline was that, you know, jQuery is like 35 K G zipped, you know, that's like what people thought was reasonable for a third party mm -hmm. library. And so 
because we were going to generate so much JavaScript, we had, a, we had to have a way to, to manage that. And so Rich Hickey looked around and saw that Google was using their own JavaScript source-to-source -source compiler, which could do inlining and, and um, other, so other sorts of local optimizations, uh, constant folding. But the really the killer feature that it had that really nobody else had, and still to this day nobody is competitive with, is uh, dead code elimination or tree shaking. Right. And what, what Google Closure will do when you do a production build of your code base, it will follow all, you know, the entire call graph and anything that's dead, it will eliminate all the code that was unused. So imagine you use a library, but you only use one function. Well, then what Google Closure will do, it will say, well, you didn't, you didn't need those 999 other functions. You only called this one. Um, and that's, it's a whole program optimization. So it will look at all your dependencies that are included in your build and only, um, include the code that actually it needs to be present for your stuff to work. Uh, well, that's great. Okay. That, that's why Google closure. Now the problem with that is that Google closure in order for it to do dead code elimination and tree shaking, you have to write your JavaScript in a very sort of relatively strict style, much more strict than what was considered idiomatic in the jQuery days. In the jQuery days, like string programming, string-based programming is very common. You're going to look up a method via a string. You're going to iterate. You're going to have an array of strings, and you're going to iterate over some properties and invoke them. So those are things that Google Closure can't analyze because they're, they're dynamic lookups. They're not, static, they're not statically known, right? You're going to use a string at runtime to do something. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that leads to very compact code when the person is writing it, but not, it doesn't lead to compact code when the compiler <laughs> works on it. So, and in the end, I think uh, Google, you know, determined correctly that a computer, the computer's ability to decide what is necessary, not necessary, is almost always going to be better than a person's ability to decide this. And so what, what Rich Hickey did was Rich Hickey said, okay, ClojureScript is going to emit Google Closure compatible stuff that Google Closure can immediately analyze and easily tree shake. And that relieves the burden from the ClojureScript developer. You don't have to think about it for the most part. You just write code and it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem that arises is that, okay, that's great if the entire universe is written in ClojureScript, but the problem is that it isn't, right? So you're either writing ClojureScript or you're using a Google Closure JavaScript library, which is already written in the right, correct style. But what happens when you want to use a third-party JavaScript library, which, again, does not follow Google Closure's uh, coding style, which helps with their tree shaking? Mm -hmm. uh, many, many libraries that exist uh, out there, um, which are available now mainly through NPM, that's where people go get them, most of the stuff that's out there is not going to be optimizable by Google Closure. Because again, people still rely on dynam dynamism even when they don't need to because maybe it looks better or it was more elegant. But in the end, it's bad for tree shaking, which is, again, for production stuff, that's your primary concern. How can I get the smallest bundle um, to that client browser? Uh, so anyways, to finish that story, the, the challenge... Um, has been in the past two years or so is we want to use stuff from NPM, 
but how can we do that in a way that doesn't conflict with um, uh, Google Closure, the way Google Closure works? And there's been many efforts here, like CLJS, JS is one thing, uh, and people still use that heavily to get React and Leaflet and whatever else. So um, what is CLJSJS? CLJSJS is a, is a hand-curated uh, set of JavaScript libraries um, that people package up inside of a jar. Then these libraries also include what are called externs. Okay. And these externs, what the externs do is the externs allow Google Closure to say, you're using this JavaScript that I don't know about. I'm never going to see. Like it's, it's JavaScript that can't be processed by Google Closure. Mm-hmm. Since I can't see what you're actually calling, give me a list of the properties that are defined in that, that third-party thing. And whenever I see that in, the, in this code base that we're actually building, that, that Google Closure is actually going to see, I won't change those names. right? Because part of, part of the minification process, besides tree shaking and um, dead, co- you know, dead culmination, is just taking whatever code you wrote and shrinking the names that you used into these tiny one character or two character symbols. So that's, that's another thing, uh, sort of code size optimization that it does. But again, you can't do that safely for third party stuff. So CLJSJS is a way for users to easily use third party libraries, but then not run into issues with their production code where something got renamed and they didn't, they didn't want that to be renamed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what CLJSJS is. And, but then what happened was that, you know, people realized, well, you have to curate it and that's work and the community has to do it. And then, you know, there are, you know, probably the, you know, one of the reasons that shadow got really popular is that shadow came up with a reasonable way to pull things in from NPM and it, it keeps it outside of Google closure in terms of advanced compilation It never tries to put that stuff through advanced compilation. I think it puts it through simple, which again, uh, it's not it's not problematic because the top level names don't change. And then you know, of course, ClojureScript. What we did is you know we didn't really want to get into that because something else that we observed was um, that Webpack had gotten really popular and really sophisticated, and some packages really depend on the behavior of Webpack. And so we kind of punted and said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to make it very easy to use Webpack to build your third party depths. And so now we have a set of instructions like. You know, if you, want to, if you want to use random stuff from NPM that can't possibly make it through Clojure, here's an easy way to set that up, and it will just work. So actually now we don't have to specify uh, the externs in our Clojure script. Right. That is another new technology that it happened. Um, this all really goes back to uh, Maria Geller, who, who had a really great talk many, I think, three, four years ago now on the closure script compiler, but she would did Google summer of code and I was her mentor and she worked on two features. One was called externs inference. And the other one was uh, JavaScript module processing, uh, which is sort of, that's been backburnered because in the end, externs inference surprisingly ended, ended up becoming more important, but that's exactly correct. Um, because closure script can now infer externs, what do we need to compute? It makes interacting with Webpack-based dependencies, again, it's trivial because if you use something via Webpack and you require it you know, as, as, a, as a ClojureScript library, we'll automatically start tracking your usage and immediately automatically compute those externs. And on all the typical old problems that we had, uh, those just don't exist anymore. Uh, I think over your career, you had really a lot of experience working with different teams. 
and looking at you know different uh, problems that teams have. Do you think there is anything? Uh, is there any pattern with the teams you work with that needed I don't know closure expertise? And that you believe that closure really uh, maybe shine in some kind of areas? No, it's a good question. I mean, um, I mean, it's so you know, I have worked with a lot of teams, but uh, you know, I think that for closure to work well, I mean, my experience is definitely like doing functional programming does require some unlearning. So you know, I think it probably takes you know six months to a year to just like unravel whatever sort of biases you may have coming from an imperative or object oriented thing. And sort of thinking in a different way. Um, there's also a lot of values within closure, the closure community. But specifically, I think a lot of the, the talks that Rich Hickey gives, which I think are very inspiring, whether he's talking about you know dependencies or specification or keeping things simple or separate, you don't have you, you, keeping things separate or you don't have the answer to something. So why just why not just leave it alone? <laughs> you know, you know. Sometimes it seems that closure development. You know, in some sense, you could think you would say that. Closure development is actually, you could say it's a bit slow, but I actually, for me, now that I've been using Closure for a long time, the rate of change is actually great. Um, when I use Closure, it's amazing how little churn there's been for the core stuff. It's in direct contrast to JavaScript stuff. Like, good example, some of the stuff I'm doing now, we're doing React Native work. Mm-hmm. And and to me, it's it's unbelievable how complicated JavaScript build systems are, um, how much churn people are willing willing to put up with like you know uh, very tiny changes very tiny quote-unquote semantic versioning very tiny changes it's nearly always a fact that everything's broken and you will lose one or two days hunting down you know what happened and so i think there are a lot of values that uh just simply aren't shared in the wider community and i think that when you come to closure it's it really makes sense to listen to what Rich is saying about these sort of like quote unquote best practices that you see in the mainstream around versioning, around breaking changes. And I, I, I definitely believe that all that stuff contributes to this, you know, this big picture of things not being very fun and things not being not very productive. You know, yeah. I, I definitely th- Go ahead, go ahead. No, I just want to say I couldn't agree more because this is uh, what brought me to ClojureScript is the experience with JavaScript ecosystem. And this is not to, you know, shame JavaScript or anything like this. It's just experience. And, you know, I mean, I did systems with JavaScript and they are great. Uh, But I just felt like, as you said, there was too much churn. And then you just spend so much time figuring out, you know, even during development process, like there is a new version of library. Should we update or not? And if you update, everything is like broken. Exactly. And so, and my point here is that, so what I've experienced about teams, how this relates back to teams is that I think I've had the most fun on teams where they are coming to closure because they see closure as embracing a sort of set of philosophies and those, and it's not just functional programming, right? It's not just functional programming. It is things like, how can we we don't have types, but we want specification. And how can we how can we do specification in a way that makes sense? Or you know, we don't like the way closure error messages work, so or spec errors work. So let's go and make that more tasteful. Let's take inspiration from Elm. Or you know, actually, what Richicky is saying about versioning is really important. So next time we make a breaking change, why don't we just make a new namespace or make a new library that's inspired by the previous library, but we don't. We don't create a dependency model in which we, we push out breaking changes and, you know, that just cascades into like chaos for 
the person that's trying to ship a product. Uh, so I, I, I've had on the teams that really have listened to the past 10 years of great talks from not just Rich, everybody, right? Everybody that's doing this stuff that really is taking time to understand it and what it means for software practice. Those teams, it's like, it's amazing. You get on a team like that and it's like, it's very productive. You're not wasting time on, wasting time on things that aren't important. And, and you really feel like, you know, complexity is unavoidable. I mean, I would say that inevitably you have to integrate with something and that thing is going to be a rat's nest, right? In any real world project. But what's really great about a great closure team is that you really see the whole team trying to isolate complexity, trying to say, okay, we can't, man, we can't like completely fix that, but let's, let's make sure that that thing is a, in a cordoned off quarantined place where we feel comfortable and it doesn't leak into this other area where we're building the core of our system and where we're very productive. Right. And I think this is very compelling, everything what you said. And I'm always wondering, uh, what's the way for closure, closure script to maybe uh, that other people really know about it? Do you think that closure script needs some kind of like the Rails demo, like the DHH did back in the day? You could do that. I mean, I think that the problem there is, I think that, A, the DHH thing is, you can't really do it anymore because, you know, it's already been done in JavaScript and in Django and in PHP and in Java. Like, you know, that, that demo, which was so powerful, that approach, convention over configuration, that mm -hmm. idea is a great idea, uh, but that is, has been embraced, and I, and I think people have been able to replicate that value. I think it's harder for to come up with one killer demo. You know, I, it's definitely something that I just haven't seen. At the same time, I do know that whenever I give demos of ClojureScript and I show people, yeah, I hear... Here, here I am doing React Native with the REPL. Here I am doing, here I have a REPL to AWS. I'm in the cloud. Here I have a REPL into, you know, my phone, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, people are shocked. Um, so, you know, I don't know what it would take to get people to pay attention because I think the demos are quite powerful already. And I think people are impressed. My opinion has actually been that my feeling these days is I don't know that we need to do that much. Again, because I look at Java, I look at React, I look at JavaScript. And I say, those systems are collapsing under the burden of their own complexity, right? right. So any, anybody that's in that world, you know, that has a little bit of self-reflection must one day think, this is too complicated. I wonder what other people are doing. Hmm. And that, that's the point that we can capture them, right? We can capture those people who maybe they like the JVM as a technology as a platform. Maybe they like JavaScript as a technology as a platform but they're tired of the sort of idioms and the ecosystem. And then they can look and Clojure is really sort of set up and Clojure script set up, right? Same platform, same ecosystem, but a much more manageable set of best practices. Mm. You know, as, as a person who's, if you're doing marketing or you're evangelizing technology, I mean, you have to, you have to, you have to come to terms with the fact that like, you know, whatever, it's like 97% of people don't want to change, right? Right. That is, that is, that you, anybody that's trying to do something new has to accept that as the baseline. Mm -hmm. Most people are not going to want to change whatever they're, they're doing, even if they see what they're doing as being suboptimal. It, it really requires so many things. And I, and I, and I would actually argue that in closure, we are, we, we are aware of this. I mean, you see this by, uh, or actually programming language communities in general, like, right. This is why you have conferences. 
This is why you have um, workshops. This is why you do things like Closure Bridge, right? It's not just you built the technology, but you have to write blog posts. You have to give talks. You have to do training. And that's the sort of path to get people to look. And then your hope is, you know, the hope I think is that, you know, if you have a good thing, then some of it is timing. Some of it really is timing. And part of what I'm hopeful for, again, is that as far as I'm concerned, mainstream software development is kind of dug in and not honestly, not that much has changed and it's just gotten more complicated. And I think there will be a moment where people will be like, okay, ES6 is not that awesome. <laughs> all this build stuff is not that awesome, but I really do like all the benefits of, again, NPM, of mm-hmm. Node, right? I lo- and, and the fact that there's a, there's a large pool of people that, that get that. What if we try this new thing that lets us leverage all the stuff we know, but then gives us something new to learn, and that hopefully will allow us to deliver what we want to deliver, you know, with less effort and uh, with less complexity. So that's what I'm, that, that, that would be my bet is that it's not going to be a killer app. It's going to be people just get tired and they're looking for something new and we'll have something that's not too new. Right. Right. That's the problem. It's like, you don't want to be, I mean, that's, I think one of the, one of the undersold aspects of closure, which is that closure is very novel, but it's not too novel. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't, give you an entirely new platform. It doesn't live in its own universe. It doesn't interoperate, right? Um, I think a lot of thought has been put into if you're going to sell functional programming and the uh, related ideas, it's much easier to swallow if it's brought along with a package that fits what people are already doing. Dismantling fixed ideas, you have to have a lot of patience, (laughs) <laughs> like, I, but, but it does pay off. It may not pay off as quickly as you expect, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, closure, like if you're going to, like for me, like I, I, I remember doing closure script and just hacking on it and nobody was using it. Right. Or very small number of people were right. using it. So I remember those days. <laughs> right. And I was like, maybe I'll get to use it if I'm lucky on a, one project or two projects. And that'll be like a cool, it'll be some cool points or something. Right. You know? Right. But now, I mean, to look, I mean, again, it's not a large community, but people are shipping React Native. They're shipping web apps. Um, there are too many libraries to follow. There are too many different things that people want to do. It's actually challenging now as the lead developer to follow all the threads. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that ClojureScript has already achieved uh, far more success than I ever expected. But be, besides that, actually... Uh, again, like you say, I, I use all this tooling, CLJS dev tools, fig wheel, tools depths, and, uh, and really all these things have made my experience as a developer like more productive than I've ever been, right? And that's, that's coming from, you know, I, I use Java, Objective-C, you know, I did a little bit of C++, you know, I did PHP, Ruby, Python, I tried lots of things. And I would definitely say that the set of tools that I currently have, it just feels more ergonomic you know, than, than anything I've used before. Cool. And I think this is a great point to finish and maybe allow people to explore ClojureScript. Cool. Thank you, David. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly. 
by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jacekshe.com. That's J-A-C-E-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thank you for your support of this show.